don't be ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things, a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. Today, Steve and I cover the back half of the piggyback, the piggyback back. This will conclude our coverage of season four. We will be back at some point on this feed to do a rewatch of seasons two and three, so stick around for that. Just a note, Steve and I talked for about seven minutes about this premiere in L.A. we've been invited to relative to House of the Dragon. If you want to skip all that, skip ahead about seven minutes and you'll get right into the Stranger Things stuff. If you are a Game of Thrones slash House of the Dragon fan, go ahead and check us out on the Double Dragon feed. Search for that wherever you search for podcasts. All right, here's a few morsels from the man with the magic mustache. That's right. It's Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna sit right here and talk about it. Now we'll talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. What's the plan? Are we going gonna to have a discussion? Because uh, if we're going to go see this early, the House of the Dragon, I mean, obviously we don't want to talk about it before the show comes out, because spoilers and everything, but... Okay, what's the actual drop date for this? So this comes out August 21st. Oh, really? So it's like a month. <laughs> so here's what I think we should do. Just spoil it. I think they killed we... Ned again? <laughs> yeah, how should we cover House of the Dragon? I feel like because we're going to this event on July 27th, we should just do a pod that talks about our experience of the event. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good idea. And maybe some, you know, n- totally non-spoiler reactions to just like our sense of the show like are we right. are we excited about the show going forward yeah i think that's a good idea and who knows there may be some sort of weird interactions that we want to talk about too so. there's always the chance that we will bump into george r, r. martin and get him get him drunk you know mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. probably get him drunk you know maybe plant a few seeds you know <laughs> exactly I love it. T- tell them how we- how we would like to see. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys how much you film, but I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, yeah. So, uh, so Steve and I, in the interim, uh, in just a couple weeks, Steve, you and I are gonna go to the premiere of House of the Dragon in L.A. Yeah, I don't know if we should feel super honored or if that's a, a bad sign for how uh, well they think the show is going to do that they would let you and I go see it early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They've done a few test audiences. They've realized we're going to need all the help we can get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just going to be just a bunch of gross podcasters trying mm-hmm. to figure out what uh evening chic looks like. Uh, <laughs> You know, this is the dress code we've been told, evening chic. 
what what does evening chic look like on Steve Osborne? That's a good question. I mean, because I, I kind of looked it up and tried to find like parallels, and what I could kind of figure out, it was sort of a a sexy business casual. Mm. <laughs> you know? uh, my understanding is, you know, slacks or mm. uh, you know designer jeans. So I'll, I'll probably go jeans, uh, nice jeans. How I, many I think. buttons will you have undone? That's my um, on my jeans, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> You're gonna go full yeah. Teen Wolf on the the zipper of your jeans. Exactly. Yeah. It is. It is the post. Yeah. Celebration uh, for Michael J. Fox's free throw. Uh, yeah, welcome to the jungle. Uh, just. Um, I mean, depending on like, I have some clothes that I would uh, consider. Uh, they fit pre-pandemic. Um, <laughs> sure. So you're a much, I think people should know that you're a much more conscientious dresser than I am. You know, so after we got this invite, you'd started to do some some research on what evening chic might be. Right. Uh, whereas my wife did research for me. <laughs> right. What yeah, evening chic might be. And I guess you guys both went to the same website. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, uh, I was even crowdsourcing some uh, shoe options. I went through my... Mm. shoes and so i got some feedback so i think i, I think i know where i'm so I, I like to build from the ground up mm-hmm. yeah me barefoot I mean, yeah. nothing <laughs> says nothing says business sexy <laughs> than going little, full hobbit little toe cleavage yeah <laughs> just give, give them what they want yeah no i uh i look forward to um uh fumbling our way into the place Mm-hmm. I look forward to um, realizing that I don't belong there almost immediately, and and then uh, really excited about uh, making a scene at the after party. Okay, so yeah, the the after party is kind of it's kind of the wild card, right? Mm-hmm. Because if this thing is not impressive, right? If this if people don't like it, <laughs> right? There's going to be a lot of fake bullshit that happens at this after party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people pretending that, you know, they're really excited for a show that, that had a pretty bad start. I'm, uh, I'm predicting that we're going to be headed to the after party and we will have very clear credentials that say we're podcasters. And we will have a segment of the after party that we can go to. And we may or may not be able to see, like, the actual, like, actors. And we will probably be in a, uh, you know, what I would imagine was they may have, like, a McDonald's playland just for for the podcasters to go. There'll be a sandbox. Yeah. Um, We'll be entitled to one free Bud Light and the rest we have to pay for. So yeah, I think that what we'll do is we'll just we'll just drop a podcast, sort of just talking about what it's like, and just give our general feelings about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why all the dragons had to talk, but all right. of a sudden the dragons talk now. This is <laughs> this is fantastic. When there was the one dragon that would only talk whenever it was with its master, and it would sing, "Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal." <laughs> Here. That bird, man, that bird's really going for it. I can't even hear the bird. It's fine. I like it. I like the bird. 
Serenity now. Steve, we're covering the piggyback part two. Really, this is supposed to be like the last hour and 20 minutes of this episode. And I just wa- I just rewatched this portion. Okay. And I, you know what I was thinking this time? Hmm. I was thinking, you know, with Cocoons of Horror, we just covered Doctor Strange. Right. And I was saying how much I really wanted all of the more mind shenanigans and maybe fewer energy blasts. Right. I think that this gave me all the mind stuff I was looking for. Is that right? Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think that the, Doctor Strange could have learned a lot from this this episode. Because not only do we have sort of have the mindscape, but sort of like have like my you know memories within memories and uh you know going into different rooms and different memories and then the, the, each memory kind of becomes uh, either a hiding place or a battleground yeah like cuz when l ends up in a earlier memory uh for max um where max is even younger but then mm-hmm. she but then she encounters um like a vecna interruption yeah, which suggests he's in the mind as well, but it's not necessarily like it's interesting how there's like these these breadcrumbs kind of throughout of of that they leave behind, right? I mean, because he's not in that memory; he's in the 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 school dance memory. Mm-hmm. But That's the right. as, but but then the school dance, uh, you know, she starts to see visions of that in Max's other memory. So it also just. I think it does a pretty good job of dealing with the complexity of the of the human mind without mm-hmm. telling you it's doing that, right? Right, and then halfway through, what ends up happening, you know, they it, t- it takes Elle a while to find the right memory, and I like that she, it, I like that it, you know, she doesn't really know what she's doing. She's kind of muddling through these memories. So they go from the skate park, which, by the way, it's not a skate park. It's like a, it's like the L.A. River. Right. Which is where they, you know, iconic image from T2. Yeah, exactly. Uh, coming right off the bridge and, you know, the, the big the, the big semi-truck uh, coming down into that little uh, concreted ravine or whatever. Was that also the, where the Grease race was? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I hadn't thought about that. Um, so they go from there to to the snowball, and then they go from the snowball into Vecna's mind. So it's like all of a sudden, it's the snowscape to the hellscape, right? And you really have that kind of fire and ice kind of theme, and you almost have. I I didn't want to. I don't want to make too much of it, but you did have that moment where Vecna raises his arms and. All the shards of wood start flying at eleven, right? And just that that slow raising of the arms kind of reminded me of the, the Night King, right? Bit. Uh, not to say that it was on purpose, but you know, you did have the same you know special effects guy in both. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's it's interesting how uh, some of the critiques, is, you know, that um, have been, you know, that Stranger Things didn't kill enough people. And, uh, you know, the duffers are like, well, we're not Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But you're not not Game of Thrones. Well, here's the thing about this. If you think about per capita, if you think about Game of Thrones, it's like 
you've got, you know, what do you have, like two dozen characters? And a bunch of them die, right? But you still have like dozen left over. So I kind of feel like they this, this show does kill. And it is willing to kill. You know, we saw Eddie die and, you know. Um, I think, you know, when people say you didn't kill enough people, I my sense is that people are thinking, yeah, but I wanted my fan theory to be right. There's that, right? Yeah, I think also it if if everybody if every main character is protected then it makes it it, it does it can it can go from season to season of diluting the the uh, stakes or the level of tension mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know if if you've come to expect that um the Scooby Doo gang is going to survive then the Scooby Doo gang is going to survive and so their peril becomes less perilous um but yeah uh, and i think that maybe if this is a is if this was the fourth and final season, I think maybe you would have seen something like that. Yeah, I mean, I you know because uh, I mean they tried, they kind of did right with with Hopper, but then they didn't. So then that sort of takes it the other way, right? Like you mm-hmm. you leave season three going, wow, they just killed off Hopper, and then they're like, no, nah, yeah. we, we're not gonna do that. And so there is that sense too that like, and that was where I was at, where like, okay, will they kill Steve Harrington, but I think we even talked about like, or does something. They assume he's dead, and they have to go back to the upside down, a time travel. So we have an opportunity to sort of save him. So I think that's the other expectation, right? Like Max is clearly jacked up. We don't know what her future holds, but they're, you know, if you're if you're the cynical, well, this isn't Game of Thrones, and you'd be like, oh, she'll get better, right? And it's like, well, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not everything mm-hmm. has to be Game of Thrones. Not everything has to be Breaking Bad. You know, a little Ted Lasso here, and and, and again, is, is fine. <laughs> Well, and think about the movies upon which this is based, right? We have to remember, you know, we're we're dealing with movies like The Goonies. Uh, you know, we throw in movies like Alien and, you know, other movies like that, too. But, you know, primarily, this is based on a lot of these 80s adventure shows where the main character, the good guys, kind of win in the end. You yeah. know, and, and that's and even the story though, yeah. that they've chosen to tell. And even though this has that Nightmare on Elm Street quality, I mean, Vecna kills three, maims another, mm-hmm. um, has a history of, of doing this to his own family. So, I mean, there's like, there's certainly carnage and there's certainly death. I mean, how many people die in the earthquake that gets formed by the gates opening, <laughs> right? True. I mean, that's true. I mean, it's not, it's just because we don't know them doesn't mean they're not dying, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you go into season three, I mean, gosh, everybody just like turns into goo. Yeah. I mean, we saw, look, this, in this season, Chrissy, we saw Chrissy, we saw, uh, um, oh, gosh, who was the nerdy Anthony Michael Hall oh, journalism uh, guy? Was it Fred or? Fred, yeah, Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. Yeah, yeah. We saw Freddy die. We saw Patrick die. And this, you know, this, we saw Jason die. We saw Eddie die. I mean, so there's a lot. It's just that, yes, it, it does seem as if our favorite characters are surviving. And I, look, I just, I just understand the kind of story that they're trying to tell. Well, and in some cases, too, I mean, the uh, killing off a main character can be a little bit of an emotional cheat, right? I mean, unless you've really got something mm-hmm. that moves the, the narrative along. I mean, you know, 
is the show better if Steve Harrington dies to save Nancy? Mm-hmm. That's, that's debatable, right? I mean, because now what you've done is you've, you've you know, you've, the other side of it is, well, that's one way to get out of the love triangle, uh, you know, corner you painted yourself into, you know? And mm-hmm. um, so there is opportunities for that, that, that could be, you know, if it's not I me, mean, like the Max thing right now, I think really does a good job because, I mean, I, the fact that, you know, we talked about the narrative armor that we assumed was there. And while I, I believe she'll be okay, I mean, I don't know that her character won't be blind for the rest of her life. You know, we don't know that. You know? Yeah, I was so it's just like, wondering that. Yeah, I was wondering that. Because that, that. that doesn't, I mean, that complicates things for, for her, uh, obviously. But I mean, it doesn't, you can still move the story along, right? And you can, mm-hmm. you know, so there are, there are opportunities there um, that are even more interesting and, and rich if they're alive, but they're for, like, that's the whole thing. Like everybody's different, right? I mean, everybody mm-hmm. after all of this is that, and Will is a perfect example. I mean, that's how we sort of end is with, you know, Will's never been the same since the first time we sure. saw Sure. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that that's, that's key, right? I mean, like the, the redemption of, of Steve Harrington. I mean, that has everything to do with the experience, right? So, um, okay, I'm going to roll this thing. Oh, well, I should mention, I've identified six storylines, so we are Goocherless for this final coverage of season four. Here we go. All right, this is a number four. This is Max and Eleven versus Vecna. Max's happy memory place is breached as blood balloons pop, and the atmosphere gets ominous. Vecna shows up and levitates Max. Then Eleven shows up and levitates Vecna. Then the mind battle begins. Vecna gets the upper hand and brings the girls to his reddish hellscape. Eleven buys some time by talking about Papa. Vecna monologues about he found the uh, how he found the mind flare about how he found the mind mind flare about how he f- <laughs> how he mound the find flare. How he flayed the mind finder. <laughs> How he found the mind flayer and used it as a tool to become the ultimate predator. And how Hawkins will <laughs> Hawkins will burn <laughs> and fall to pieces. He wants Eleven to watch him kill Max. Then Mike, expi- then Mike inspires Elle with his love. And she finds the strength to fight. Then she mind-ties him to a pretend post. Vecna turns to smoke. Meanwhile, Max's limbs are snapped and her eyes turn to milk. She drops to the floor and spoons in the arms of Lucas. Then the bells chime and a rift cuts Jason in half. All of Hawkins becomes an open, cruciform gate. Eleven brings Max back from the dead into some kind of comatose state. So we see Vecna's plan kind of unfold here, right? The the big the big gate is now open. And initially I think I was wondering like, okay, but Max didn't really die. How did he get this gate open? But I guess we learn a little bit later on that she uh, does die. She does. She was dead for a whole minute. Yeah. I guess that was long enough for Vecna to do what he needed to do with the gate. Was, yeah, he just had a technicality. Whatever it was he had going on, it required four deaths. And, uh, and, you know, even though, you know, Miracle Max is, like, mostly dead, uh-huh. uh, it still worked. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> Miracle Max. Excellent. Um, yeah, okay. So, all right. This kind of points us forward to Season 5, right? Because... Are we just going to see, like, a full-on, like, Terminator sequel where the whole world has been kind of taken over and now we're in sort of this apocalyptic, earthen, upside-down situation? It's going to really, um, it's going to really depend on, do we pick up right where we left off, which is, like, we get that first little upside-down uh you know particles uh-huh. you know is it like is it in the beginning of happening or is it uh an inevitability maybe something if we did a time jump and it's just this you can't tell where the upside down ends and and the regular world begins um i think what they could do is a time jump at the end of episode 1 or something you know so they could like resolve max's situation bring her back somehow and then four years later. Yeah, so here's my issue. All right. So there's something about what Vecna does here that allows the upside down to bleed atmospherically into, you know, all of Hawkins. And to me, this feels like how is this not like a worldwide event? Right. Mm-hmm. So the the question becomes: Is it because the the vision that uh, Nancy had, um, you know, don't the, the monsters are are loose in in Hawkins? Yeah, and, that's right. And so, yeah, I forgot about Nancy's vision. You're right. So the vision, you know, again going to that sort of Terminator Two because you know that was Sarah Connor would have these visions of of the apocalypse and nice. Uh, yeah, and, that's right. I forgot. And so, so she sees, and if, and if you follow that, that was, you know, and you know, Terminator, Terminator being a total time travel, you know, film. I mean, that's, if we were if we're following that sort of format sure, or potentially sure. going forward, um, if that's the hints that we're getting, like maybe, you know, if this, if this season was Nightmare on Elm Street, then is, mm-hmm. is the next season Terminator. Uh, and what would you do in the Terminator? Well, they went back to, to try to stop something from happening, right? Like mm-hmm. they were, and then somebody else went back to protect the the kid, right? So I mean, there's who knows if how that is going to work out. Like, will they be? Will they? Fl- could they flip the script and they have to go back and and stop Vecna from ever happening? I don't know. I mean, those those are those are interesting things that okay, can happen. Okay, so here's my here's my concern with the whole global hellscape upside down situation. I feel like what has made this show unique and really spe- you know really special and really fun is it's like kind of revisiting your childhood with all the pop culture references. Mm-hmm. And you just you care just as much as, you know about whether Mike and Elle are going to you know make it work as you care about defeating the demogorgon. If this whole thing turns into this global upside down hellscape i think that you you lose a lot of the like hey fun kid you know kids having fun going to the mall that part right yeah because it's never it's never as much fun in the upside down except for this season we got a little bit you know with with some sweet uh heavy metal jams sure had some heart to hearts between uh steve and um 
you know, uh, Eddie even. And so, th- so those things definitely, you know, th- yeah, there yeah. is space for that, but the tension is, it, it's not like, yeah, to your point, it's like, you can, you can watch them at the mall. You can watch them at a uh-huh. dance and the tension that's there is, you know, it's puberty. It's, it's, uh, just transitioning to adulthood There's all these different yeah. types of tension. And you know that there's a, uh, there's badness in some dimension, but it's not as uh, imminent, right? Whereas mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. if you're in the upside down, even in mid conversation, you're like, yeah, but a bat could come get your neck, right? Like, so it's, yeah. it's, it does take, and then, then it becomes a little less relatable, right? Now, we could have already built that relatable currency over the course of, of four seasons. Um, so, I mean, at this point, the characters are pretty well or established. If it's, the let's say it starts are... with the hell state, hellscape, and then we do a little bit of Back to the Future stuff. So they get to go back to Hawkins as it was before, and then we get to revisit all of the pop culture stuff in that way. Right, so there's definitely that possibility, right? Like, how do we, you know, if there's something, you know, time travel seems like it's going to be uh, a part of this. And what they've already established is that they can do some pretty cool effects to make Elle look very young, younger than we've ever seen her. Absolutely. So there is, you know, unlike Back to the Future 2, where it's a bit of a trudge to see the mm-hmm. old Michael J. Fox and, <laughs> and young Michael J. Fox. Sure. Yeah. Um, they could certainly have a lot more with this. And, uh, you know, it, it, to your point, like, then that's how you can maybe restore that while, you know, kind of have a cake and eat it too. Like, there's still a hellscape to, to, to navigate, but there's, you know, some of them are, you know, some yes. are in the hellscape. Some have now found a way to go back to Hawkins in 83 or something. Um, uh, a couple of little uh, segments from this storyline. Uh, at one point, Eleven says Papa was not a mon- or Papa was a monster, and then uh, Vecna says he was not a monster. He was just a mediocre man who sought greatness in others. And I just wanted to say this kind of aligns with your interpretation of Modine in the Papa episode. <clears throat> you know, like the way he dies is kind of mediocre and that is sort of fitting for his, he didn't sort of deserve a grandiose exit. So this is exactly kind of what Vecna is saying about Papa. Right. And I think it, and I think that's in alignment with that. Uh, one thing I do want to say about this, and it'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Heather had a, had a, this, this storyline bothered Heather from a narrative standpoint because she felt like, L had become too badass to be that uh, easily thrown around. Like when it came down to like, because here we you know we mm. see him, see her lifting Nina, you know we see helicopter helicopters and and uh, and then Vecna you know comes out the gate. She gets Vecna up and he's and then but then she's easily sort of it's, it's turned around. And my and so, so I think she kind of felt like that. It seemed as, and it may have been a bit of a um, uh, an issue of this is a classic. You know, you've empowered a woman or you know female mm-hmm. character, but only to a certain degree. And I think that might have been a little bit of her her critique. I took it, you know, maybe because I'm just you know advocating for the show at this point and 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 trying to find the logic where maybe it's not always there. Is it's one thing to lift Nina in a in a lab. You know, and even the helicopter, I mean, obviously she's got all this, you know, <laughs> bullets coming towards her. But Vecna's a different uh, adversary. 
I mean, Vecna's her equal, if not superior. So that's a thing, is, is that it's one thing to, to train it and one thing to practice it. It's one thing to be mm-hmm. jumping around Dagobah. Um, it's another thing to be face-to-face with Vader. Well, to, he- to Heather's point, and I'm not sure how I feel about this, but to Heather's point, boy, they sure spent a lot of time this season building up her Jedi training. Mm-hmm. So she said, I mean, they just spent hours upon it, hours upon hours of her. She was absent for everybody going else's through the journey. Nina project. You brought back Mo- Modine for this very purpose, so that she could go through the Nina project. And so, for the end of it, for her to seem just, you know, she's just as powerful as before. I can, I, I kind of feel that plot hole a bit. Yeah, yeah. I and think I on would, the other uh, side yeah. of it, I might say that. All along, the rules of her magic has been she can be really powerful, and it takes a lot out of her. Yeah. So I, I they kind of did the same thing. Like, she was really powerful. She could, like, levitate Vecna, throw Vecna around, and then she's drained a little bit. Yeah, I, and that, that I think, can work. I think the other side, my other argument was uh, it's just Empire Strikes Back. Papa said, "If we do, if we do take Papa for his at his word, uh, even though it's hard to, her training yeah. was not complete, and, uh-huh. and uh-huh. she left Dagobah because her friends and uh, that's right, yeah. And so, so, he so while her. she's she's more powerful, she may not have. There may be an element that she's not quite mastered yet, and that could be yeah. the sustaining part, or it could be an extra, you know, turbo boost. I don't know. Okay, I I like that you're bringing in Star Wars because there was an element where." When Vecna says, "Look, I see your friends, I see them," and I got a little bit of the uh, the Emperor saying, "Oh yeah, for sure." Oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends. By the time your friends arrive. So, uh, I like that. Uh, definitely got that. And then there were a number of religious themes that we've been calling out throughout this season. And because of all of the other religious elements, I feel like probably should mention the ones that seem to be pretty overt in this episode. And I won't call them all out, but I will call out a few. So when Eleven is sort of like tied up and watching Max be murdered, basically, she's kind of like in a Christ pose, cruciform, right? Right. And then when Max is talking to her, he says... Uh, I believe you could move mountains, mm-hmm. right? So that's that, that's a, uh, an allusion to something Jesus says in the Bible, and then, which is interesting to me because he also says, "I believe you can fly." And then I thought, "Hmm, she can fly." <laughs> <laughs> is is that are we going to see more? Fly, are we going to see some actual eleven? Flying like Neo in the Matrix in season. Uh, yeah, well, maybe. I mean, yeah, th- th- that that speech felt like it served multiple purposes, right? I mean, obviously, the the main one is to 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 fuel her with love and acceptance. Yeah, which um, happens in the Matrix, by the way. Yeah, right. and then, uh, but that also it does feel like there might be some foreshadowing in there. Yeah. And um, Mike serves a purpose finally in this, in this season. <laughs> yeah. And then I I just call it I'll just call out one more bit because this is this is the most overt when Eddie is dying he says to Dustin he says uh, you're going to have to take care of those little sheep. Yeah. 
Which is exactly what Jesus tells Peter when he's about to, you know, leave. Yeah. And anyway. I mean, and, and, you know, Eddie's, you know, certainly. I mean, I, I, I would say that the parallels don't stop there. I mean, I would imagine, I don't think it's in Scripture, but I imagine that Jesus could shred on the axe. Yeah, this is sort of apocryphal material. Um, this is the, the, the gospel of Axel. Um, (laughs) which, you know, which isn't, it's it's dated to the fourth century, but we do have a few fragments from the third century. So it could be uh, old, but (laughs) it it was, it was, it was unfortunate because, uh, Jesus and Peter have creative differences and they can't really. Yeah. It it is, but it is really a beautiful, uh, set of, I mean, like, I know, like you said, the scriptures aren't like fully, uh, intact, but I do think that, I mean, when he, when he refers to, cause he does, they don't say like tend to my sheep. He says, you know, tend to the sweet children of mine. And I think that that's really sweet. Um, you know, and he says, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. It's paradise city. I think that's, that's a wonderful, uh, yeah. Well. There's this massive interlude in the middle of it. Yeah. People, some people think it's, it's just, lacuna because the worms have eaten the manuscript but my theory is that it is a sort of a november rain um esque interlude that's that just happens in the middle of this ancient manuscript but anyway i don't want to get into sort of my day job this is this supposed to be fun for me i don't want to taint this podcast with my no, I get it. No, professional it, it, interests. No, and I think that that's. But yeah, it, it, if if anybody wants to do the research, it's it's definitely it's available for you. Yeah, yeah. Do your own research. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? It's, it's going to take a little while, but you know, what? just exercise patience. <laughs> All right, I'm going to roll this thing. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was, and those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live.
Fell off the table. I don't know if that counts. Should I roll it again? Um, what, what's, what is your feeling about dice that roll off the table? Uh, I am... So, I... Unless explicitly said otherwise before the game is played, I say play it as it lies. Oh, okay. Well, I grabbed it. I should have mm. let it fall on the floor. So I'm just going to roll it again here. Yeah, now it's a double tap. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is the Sinclair Kids versus the Basketball Dummies. Uh, Erica has been overpowered by the Basketball Goon, by Basketball Goon number two. Jason discovers Lucas and Max in the attic. Jason holds a gun and demands that Max be woken up. Lucas refuses and tries to explain the upside-down signs to Jason. Jason shoots and misses. Lucas ducks the bullet, and the two fight. Lucas gets strangled as Max levitates. Then he fights back, and Jason gets his ass beat. Lucas tries to keep Max from checking out and tells Erica to get an ambulance. A lot of Stand By Me. I, I was I was feeling the Stand By Me vibes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's that amazing... Uh, there's just some really cool stuff there when he says... You know, he, he basically goes into uh, the Will Wheaton character, right? I mean... Uh, yeah, everyone's going to die. Nope, not everyone. Just, just you. Jason... If I wake her too soon, we all die. You don't wake her up right now. You die, Sinclair. Just you. Uh, what was Kiefer Sutherland's character? Ace. Ace, that's right. Just Ace. you, Just Ace. You, Ace. Just you, Ace. So I I definitely felt that, and uh, um, I think we we did, we talked quite a bit about that over at Cocoons of Horror when yeah. we covered that episode. So I did want to say something about a key moment in this scene. So they're fighting, and Jason steps on the Walkman, right? Mm-hmm. And he breaks the the cover off the Walkman. And he breaks the headphones, right? right? I just want to say, as someone who used this bit of technology for years, that will not keep that device from working. <laughs> right. I mean, you could break off the cover. You could just put, like, broken headphones to your ears. Half of the headphones I used when I was a kid were scotch-taped. Wild that, like, I can't seem to get uh, an iPhone cord to stay uh, operational for like two months before it just starts to disconnect. But yeah, we could like I'm not. There were times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been listening to this thing for like four hours and there's no batteries in it. That's weird. <laughs> upside down magic. Right. Uh, yeah, you could. I mean, seriously, you. It's really hard to break these things. All you have to do is like hold the headphone up to one of Max's ears. And uh, and you get her right out of the the state with Kate Bush, right? So I mean, of course, you know Lucas is being strangled at the time. Um, all right, uh, anything else about this? I, I think we've covered this particular storyline uh, pretty pretty thoroughly in a, in the last episode. So yeah, I mean, it's a <laughs> there's I mean it it's a interesting way that he goes right. I mean, like talk about Papa's death and me felt like a little bit maybe unceremonious. I mean. Mm-hmm. Jason gets uh, gets killed 
by by the very thing that he should have been really afraid of the whole time, right? Um, it's true, but he also gets Darth Mauled. Yeah, it's true. We don't we don't know if we're gonna get uh, you know a robot Jason later. All right, I'm gonna roll this thing. Damn, I lost it again. I, I caught it. I didn't let it go on the ground. Even after you told me. Uh, number two. Number two. Scooby-Doo gang versus Vecna. After hopscotching over Vecna vines, the gang is ensnared. The tentacles come to life and tie them to the hallway walls. They all drop their weapons and are choked. They are choked for like an hour and a half. And then they find Vecna in a trance. They firebomb him. Fire seems to mildly annoy him, but Nancy's shotgun blow uh, shotgun blows him out of the attic window. Outside on the ground, it seems that Vecna has escaped. You mentioned before, Steve, that you thought maybe this is all part of Vecna's plan. Right. Uh, at one point, he says, "You think that you've won, but you know the this world's going to end. This is just the beginning." And I was going to say that. The way that this all kind of goes down in the attic is I don't think Vecna's planned for any of this. Or maybe it just doesn't really matter. Right. Like, it could be one of those things where, uh, he know- yeah, he knows either way. It's like, you guys you guys can't... Because he's gone, right? I mean, he's not... He's not... Um, he's clearly not dead. Uh, he disappears in the mind state. Mm-hmm. In the physical state, because he's getting jacked up in the physical state, but then he. So I want it, a part of me almost wonders: did they, did they do the right thing? Because like we we looked at everybody helping. Mm-hmm. Did they? Right. I mean, that's that's a question that I still have. Is that you know, L's kind of taken care of, but then he disappears because he's because she was kind of taking care of him in the mind state, because in the physical state, he's getting. Uh, jacked up but Mm -hmm. but in a way like did they end up kind of setting him free because if they just left him there with with 11 would would she have been able to to psychically psychically destroy him but because uh like he sort of unplugs because of getting firebombed uh he's a he's able to to physically get away well they've got no idea that 11's helping out Right. Right. I know. I'm, but I'm just saying, is that what, you know, is that a possibility that, because I could, because from us as the viewer, sure. we're like, oh my gosh, look at all these, like, we have upside down Hawkins. We've got, we've got, uh, you know, L in a, in a pizza shop. And then we've got mm-hmm. uh, Russia and like, they're all coming together without even realizing it. But I almost wonder if that made it worse. I don't know. And it's, I think one of the, one of the weaknesses of this show is that, it's hard to know what is actually going to do harm to the monsters. Right. You know, sometimes they, you can just burn them to burn them. You can just burn them alive. You know, sometimes a shotgun will totally cause you to kind of step back. And sometimes a shotgun will like blow you right out the, the attic window or whatever. So I don't, I'm not really sure what does what to what monster in this show. Right. Um, well, I mean, we just met Vecna. We didn't, you know, this is the first, you know, we didn't know any of his weaknesses until towards the end anyway. Sure. Even, even, <laughs> so even still, we're like, all right, well, we don't know. Okay. Uh, one thing about this, because we were talking about the connectivity of all these storylines. Um, there's a lot of sort of splicing together of like, 
Like, uh, everything's kind of happening at one time uh, kind of thing, right? Well, after right after Robin gets dropped from the Vecna vines, she says, I don't believe in a higher power, but that was a miracle. Mm. And I thought, okay, let's let's... Let's make sure we do the callback here because at one point Hopper did say, I'm here to do something to help Eleven and Hawkins or something like that. Right. And Jack and Hagar basically says, oh, you're starting to sound religious. Right. And then Hopper starts talking about, you know, expecting a miracle. So that that's you know all of a sudden we see this miracle language being used in Hawkins and it's basically because Hopper turns into a, a miraculous uh hero in in Russia. So I think that they're trying I think that they're trying to to play with that a bit be be your own miracle. Be your own miracle. Harrington flips a flashlight at one point. My my son was like that's totally cringy. <laughs> Really? And I said, no, no, that's a callback. Remember, he used to do a little bat flip. Way back in season one, when he was fighting that Demogorgon, he would hit it with a bat and he would flip it again. You know, and uh, I think that immediately he, he's, you know, we've got the old Harrington back. He's going to go fight the monster. So, so you know, I, I know, I know cringy is kind of a, a, a thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. not, not that cringiness has has just happened, you know, it's not a recent phenomenon, I said we, but pointing it out is, is certainly, I think, a little bit more of a recent phenomenon. Sure. What, 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 what's cringy, just because he flipped it? I think he was like, thinking why, why something like... Why was that like, cringy? <laughs> I, I'll ha- he's at camp, I'm going to have to ask him when he gets back, but um, I, my sense was that, look, if you're in this haunted house, in the Upside Down, and you got this monster guy in the next room. Are you going to feel confident, so confident, that you're willing to just flip this flashlight into the air? Uh, or are you going to be a little bit more careful with your with your devices? See, I get the sense of cringy, like something like, oh, that's that's them trying to be like the director trying to make him cool. And that's not cool. People, people don't flip flashlights. Well, yeah, the only, yeah right. I, the only reason to flip it. Is to make that character look cool, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I was I'm just to... I'm concerned that cringy is getting overused. I just mm-hmm. think that like there's things that could be cheesy. Yeah, and I I'm don't not know if... saying that my son is cool. I mean that's that's the last <laughs> thing that I would ever say. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I mean, I just I just don't want us to dilute cringe. I think I think there there are certainly cringeworthy things, and mm-hmm. there are things that are cringy. Um, but I mean, if we just start labeling anything that's awkward or uncomfortable as cringy, mm-hmm. I think I think we dilute the language. And I just want to I want to be able to I want cringe to still mean something. You, you're you're just taking a stand. This is brave. This is quite <laughs> brave of you, Steve. I want to be you're on just... the right side of history with cringe. <laughs> I do want to say the Scooby Doo Gang versus Vecna. This was a very minor part of this episode. Right. It was right, and it's- it was a long episode. And this, you know, the whole Steve, Nancy, Robin part of this was really quite minor uh, compared to all the other stuff. Yeah, and it was an. It, it felt. I don't know if I felt like it, like the payoff wasn't worth it. It was just 
it was just interesting that they, all this effort goes into it. You know, you go, I mean, you kill Eddie so that they can do this thing. Yeah. And they didn't, I mean, then they, yeah. and then they just kind of go do it. <laughs> no, it's, so that part. This is that, supposed to be phase four. They had a, they had a four phase plan. Yeah. And, uh, phase four is, was, was kind of like, I guess, I guess they were trying to show that, you know, Hopper really helped and the 11's really helping. I, I, all of that overshadowed the Scooby-Doo gang part of this. Which is a big deal, right? Because I mean, this is this is the Scooby Doo gang going face to face with physical Vecna, and uh, this should yeah. this should have this should have a a pretty big moment. I mean, I guess there's a big moment in the, in the sense that like Nancy's just gone full Sigourney. I mean, at this point, right? I mean, sure, yeah. Uh, which is which is I think a, a fun you know it's a fun thing for the character, and I think it's I think it bodes well in my opinion for the next season i mean nancy's always been sort of ramping up but i feel like now nancy's just in a whole new space a lot of this yeah no a lot a lot of this episode is about eddie's ultimate bravery right so he's he's a coward and he finds his bravery you know he proves himself to be heroic right i think lost in the shuffle there is that whenever there's shit that needs to get done nancy's like the first person in right she's like the first person to jump in She's going to crawl into the upside down. She's going to dive into the water gate. She's going to, you know, she's going to get the sawed off shotgun. She is full Sigourney at this point, right? Yeah. And, you know, and she's even got the vision, right? I mean, I, like, interesting that, like, Vecna chooses her to deliver the message, right? Um, mm-hmm. And... And so she's in she's in a, a unique spot now, right? I mean, like I know not imprinted maybe in the same way that Will is because I think Will still has something inside him to some degree. Um, huh. So the idea that there's monsters, the idea that like her family in particular are in danger because they stay. Right? That's an and that's what I think is interesting too about the the, the Wheelers is they're, they're they're sticking around. You know, while everybody else yeah. is is bouncing. I, I want to talk about that. I'm wondering like, are what. What's, what are they thinking? What is, what is Ted thinking? He he he's not gonna leave his television. Like that's, <laughs> like the whole town is crumbling. You've got a massive rift that has killed fourteen people in this town. A you have year the upside after, down bleeding in. <laughs> a year after there was this mall fire that killed like forty two people. Yeah. What a what a, Ted's like. Mm, I think I see what's on the news. I mean, I see if I see a, like two spiders in the same day, I consider putting my house up for sale. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna roll this thing. All right, this is a six. This is the Hawkins reunion. Oh, good, we get to talk about what we were just talking about. Two days after Hawkins has been ripped into four quadrants, Argyle. Argyle's van rolls into town. The boys see the devastation. A local newsman reports that Eddie Munson is presumed dead. The gang and the boys reunite. Lucas reads a Stephen King novel to Comatose Max. Then Eleven and the boys arrive. Eleven tries to find Max on the astral plane to no avail. Then Robin and friends volunteer at the Disaster Relief Center. Robin flirts with Molly Ringwald, and Dustin shares a moment with Eddie's uncle. 
The gang tries to clean up Hopper's cabin, and Jonathan and Nancy pretend everything is okay. Will says he can feel Vecna, who is still alive. Then Hopper returns and hugs Eleven. They admire their haircuts, and everyone hugs everyone. The sky darkens, and the upside-down particles fall on the town of Hawkins. Okay, at one point, Henry says to Eleven that the massacre, the children who are died in, ma- in the Hawkins massacre, that they're not really dead, they're in his head, right? He points to his, his skull and says, they're in here. Right. So is this how you get Max back? Well... Are you? Did you do any research? Or I did read zero the, research on the ta- on the talisman. I didn't do any. No, 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 no. So I did very little. I mean, I'll be honest. I was supposed to do more, but I. I it, but what I do know about the the talisman is, it's. Uh, Just it's for whole, reference, the talisman is the book that Lucas, that Lucas is, is reading. Yeah, Lucas is reading to Max. Um, it's so the the main character is trying to save his mother who is dying of of cancer and he wants to get a talisman uh that i from what i understand is like it uh to get this talisman he has to go through a parallel universe interesting so there's like twin twinners or the parallel individuals of the people in our world and like one can die in one world but not the other necessarily um, interesting so there does so i think i think that's I mean, it has to be where we're going to some degree right i mean that's we, we've so got max a, is like bifurcated like part of her and it could be like the primary part of her psyche is somewhere on this other plane right right because the, the thing that's interesting so the difference about you know this world in, in the talisman versus what we've seen with the upside down is is we don't you know they don't they encounter their world but they don't encounter themselves right like they don't see people um they see the houses they see and and the and the artifacts are there right they're all they may be gooey or or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever but like the idea was hey we can go get our guns oh no we can't because it's 1983 but you can still see my diary you can see all those things those are all preserved but there's no people so that's what i find you know so that's an interesting thing about the difference between the novel that he's reading and what we've seen so then but then it makes you wonder it's like well were there people that either vecna or the mind flayer have like captive or they kill Mm -hmm. can you go back to a certain time and find uh you know that version of of yourself maybe before that happened so this is where it just it can get really interesting uh and and really explore a lot of space now what i've understood is that they're not going to make this upcoming season as long as this one at least in terms of just runtime so i think it's impossible now yeah that, now that it's back in in the u.s it's it, it <laughs> you just, just shaved cut down off like, like three episodes yeah exactly but if you're going to do something as complex as potentially time travel or parallel universe uh, i feel like you do need to spend a little time you know it get because uh, it's gonna, it has the potential to get real, real confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no, I mean, there's no way. I mean, unless they're just he's just reading the Talisman because it's a Stephen King book and it happens to involve like a parallel uh, world, and this yeah. one has that. I don't think that. I, I don't believe you would re, you would have that here being read to somebody who's again when the whole 
point of that story is he's trying to get this talisman to save mm-hmm. to save his dying mother and he's Well, and I this. think it's probably worth calling out that the that the way that the Duffer brothers choose to bring in references they choose to bring in a reference that doesn't necessarily script the story going forward, right? So just because they might there might be something like this in season five doesn't mean that this is going to be prescriptive in any way of how the show will end, right? Just because they bring in Molly Ringwald, and it's very clear that it's Molly Ringwald, right? Right, right. This is a Molly Ringwald homage does not necessarily tell you, say that the Breakfast Club is going to be predictive of how Stranger Things is going to end any more than, you know, bringing in, you know, Jesus references is going to tell us that it's going to end that way or or Empire Strikes you know, Back. Exactly. Exactly. Though this does have might. a little bit of that Empire Strikes Back, though, doesn't it? Like at the end when uh, Empire Strikes Back, when they're all looking off into the you know mm-hmm. into the universe is like hey someone's got to go uh find you know han and, yeah. and you know it's 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 a cliffhanger right and and yeah, this is the, this is the one i mean all of them like we've talked about this is the first one that had a clear cliffhanger ending right like it wasn't a post credit scene yep. that invited mm-hmm. you and this was this was empire strikes back like just built that way right i mean yeah um, there's this moment when Dustin is talking with Eddie's uncle, mm-hmm. where he goes full Frodo Baggins. Right, yeah. I I could not not see Frodo. He's got the curly hair. He's sitting there. He's got the super curly hair. Uh, he's His ears are kind of poking out, and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is Frodo, <laughs> <freaking> Frodo Baggins. <laughs> You get that sense, like he's kind of returned to the Shire, and he's, you know, he he. he this is kind of the scouring of the Shire uh, moment. Well, and they had, uh, you know, we've already they've already made a Lord of the Rings reference to him and him and Eddie got right. Exactly, exactly. Um, so the Shire, the Shire is burning. Yeah, exactly. Also, there's guess, a were there are werewolves in in the Talisman, and I know you're a big werewolf fan, so ooh, I just thought, I thought I, I, I'm now I'm going to go read it. Time to go so, read the talisman. For so sure. fingers crossed that Eddie is actually a werewolf. Ooh, that'd be fantastic! All right, so we finally get the Hopper L reunion, right? Right. You you kind of get the sense that she's saying, "I I I didn't I didn't really ever believe that you were really dead." She doesn't say it that way, but she said, "I I kept the door open." Right. I kept the door open three inches or whatever it was. How did you feel about this reunion? Uh, I think it was really effective. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like that. There's still like a parallel between the fact that she doesn't seem to ever get these gates fully closed either. So doors you being don't... open are always yeah. kind of a thing. <laughs> kind of her thing. She never really ever closes the fridge door. This is always a problem. <laughs> the lids back on the peanut butter when she's done. I leaves a, I leaves really... a crack open for a demi dog. Mm-hmm. I almost felt more emotion when she's hugging Joyce. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that uh, was I kind of felt that too, which I thought was, you know, something that we didn't see a bunch of, but there was that because I mean just because of the the need for the mother and her she knows her yeah. mother, right? Yeah. 
This is Dustin and Eddie Part 2. And after the Master of Puppets solo concert, Dustin and Eddie lock themselves inside Eddie's upside-down mobile home. The bats eventually find unsealed vents and bust through. Dustin climbs up the sheets to the other side, but Eddie decides to stay back to buy more time. He bikes off, and the bats chase him. Dustin comes back to help Eddie, but Eddie is surrounded by hundreds of bats. Eddie is chomped by bats until Vecna has been weakened by the Russia contingent and Eleven. Then the bats all die for some reason. Eddie dies in Dustin's arms, but before departing for that big mosh pit in the sky, he makes <laughs> Dustin promise to take care of his sheep. Um, You know, we... I kind of joked about this earlier, but this is a full-on Axl Rose homage, right? With the bandana and the long hair. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could not see Axl Rose here. And then, of course, the hair's a little bit slash, right? Yeah, he's he's like the best of all, of all worlds. He's both guns and roses. <laughs> all right, so my my son was thrilled with this scene with Eddie fighting the bats. There's this one scene where he's like, come on! And, like, the thunder just cracks. You know, the lightning flashes behind him. He was like, that That was a W scene, for sure. Nice. He, he enjoyed that. Um, and then, of course, Eddie Eddie dies. And, and I think that this is probably... Eve, as emotional as any character in the show, which is kind of saying something. Right. I mean, this is a, they did a great job. And again, I mean, I know you got converted uh, throughout the season. Totally. I'm, I'm a, I'm a full on, you know, full member of the, the cult of Eddie. Yeah. And and watching and see, I was an early adopter. So uh, it, it was, it, this was even, even harder to watch. I mean, both Heather and I very choked up. Well, even the second time around, um, you know, thinking back to when he, when he, how he gets introduced, he's just, you know, it, it's, it's a really clever thing that they did. Uh, they, they Harrington him in a season and, and some things, you know, even though, even when some things like felt a little on the nose, it still, it was still sold. It still worked. I mean, the actor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just sold it and it was just, uh, and then to ha- have this moment with, with Dustin too, because, um, you know, Dustin's such an interesting character that they've brought along and how he keeps getting put in different spots, right? I mean, he, uh, you know, he, he becomes, he teams up with, with Steve and now he's teamed up with Eddie and it's, mm-hmm. yeah. he, he, you know, when people break off, I mean, I mean, Dustin makes these connections and serves a rich purpose for the show, not only to kind of move the plot along in a way to, to naturally get the exposition out there. So it doesn't feel like you're, you're just being told how to follow along. Okay. Um, I just want to say this about, about Dustin. There's something about not caring about popularity that makes you kind of like intriguing to older kids. Sure. There's something about oh that that kid doesn't care what I think, uh, you know even even despite the the age difference, I'm kind of intrigued by this younger. It's really hard to know that when you're in junior high. Because you think okay if I just if I just say what is, what does that person want me to say what what would be the cool thing to say right now 
Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, I mean, you're really obvious. And older kids don't want to be around that, right? Dustin is the kind of kid, because he doesn't care about popularity at all, he's kind of intriguing to these older characters. So he can kind of make friends more easily with someone like Steve, with someone like Eddie, and it's believable. And uh, I think the rest of the ki- these kids, they all care about popularity, at least at, at, on some level, right? Right. Uh, Dustin, he's a, for some reason, he's immune to that in the way that hobbits are kind of immune to the, the ring of power. Mm, interesting. Uh, Anyway, I, I, I like the, I like that part of Dustin, and I, so I like them pairing him up with Eddie in this season. Yeah, and, and you're right; it does make a lot of sense that that um, he he would be more accepted by the older. And what happens too by also because there's still the recognition that he is a kid. There's a sense of protection, right? I mean, Harrington mm-hmm. and, and Eddie, um, you know that. They they look out for him, right? And they they look right. out for him not just because he's a kid, but also because like they appreciate him, and he and he they know what he serves for them, right? I mean they give they get from him as much as as they give to him. All right, final storyline. This is number one, the Russia plot, part two. Hopper devises a plan to kill the creatures. He's going to bait them to the into the arena. Murray will blowtorch them, and Joyce will lock them in. Hopper whistles at a demodog and runs for the arena. One of the dogs takes Hopper down, but Joyce uses a cattle prod to save him. They make it to the arena where Murray rains down fire from heaven. This, it seems, Vecna and his army of monsters. The dogs are burnt, but the demogorgon remains. Hopper gets the Conan sword that happens to be lying around and cuts down the creature in slow motion. Then the Russians show up with Kantinka as Murray Hoots. Uh, at some point, my son was watching this thing. <laughs> my son was watching this thing with me, and he said, not these poopies. Nobody cares about you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the big payoff, right? And uh, this is what we were waiting and for. I, and I don't think he's talking about the Demodogs. I think no, he's no. talking about Hopper. He's talking and, about... Uh, it was just yeah, funny. Huh? You know, he's 15 years old. It, you know, to hear a 15-year-old, you know, guy who's really concerned with being cool called <laughs> call these beloved characters poopies. Yeah, it's pretty great. I think it's the commentary on uh, this generation's view of uh, older people in general. <laughs> right. Yeah, it could have been. He's like, you can call. He's like, you know what? You can call yourself a boomer. You can call yourself a Gen X. You're all poopies. <laughs> so, so um, did you did you see? Uh, I, I guess someone sent me this uh, image of uh, an old Conan movie. Where he's got the same sword, and I guess there was some confirmation that it was actually the same prop. Oh wow! That was yeah, used. So the, yeah, so the so the, the Conan sword is just yeah. in Russia too. Huh? Yeah, Russia's Russia's all about their their peanut butter and and movie props. <laughs> if you remember back to what was going on, they were having each of these Russian prisoners choose a, a weapon to fight right. this. And, and was I the sword think, among them? Yeah, I think that the 
I think that the idea was we're going to give them weapons that will menace the creature but won't kill the creature. Because this was Hopper's view. It's like, look, this is a predator. It doesn't want dead meat. It wants to fight for its food. And so we're just going to let, I'll give you enough, you know, give these weapons to you so that you can fight it, but ultimately you are food, right? Right. Do I have that? Did, did Was that your that understanding of this? Yeah, that was my take. Okay, um, so then why can this sword slice through a Demogorgon? Right, yeah. If the sword was available, then it sort of, you know, <laughs> was it hiding in the back? And they're like, oh, if they pick the right one, like we give them a fighting chance. We give them a sword. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty elaborate sword because it's not supposed to be a movie prop. Because it's it, super fancy. It, because it super. cuts off the head, so it's clearly supposed to yeah. be a sword. And... Uh, and it is. This a was my story. same critique of the first season of this. Is like, so the so bullets don't menace these things, but a baseball bat will. Right, with nails in it. With nails in it, and I'm just thinking, what is it? What is a bullet if not just a tiny little bit of metal that's coming at you really fast? Yeah, it's not like they're indestructible. There are things that you can do with them. So, one idea I had was, okay, maybe the fire part of it burned off its its hard exterior or something. I don't know <laughs> if I'm thinking about this too hard, but I, it is a little odd to me that, that Hopper slices through this, this thing. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, a, it's also, I mean, again, it's the Conan sword is a little of an odd choice because everything else was so American up until that point. Uh-huh. You know, we got Hulk Hogan, we got red, white, and blue puffy sure. jackets. We got, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it just seemed like, is, is there not a more, is there not a, an American prop you can use? Is there, mm-hmm. you know. Like, can you, like, got, beat, him, beat him to out. death? Beat him to death with, like, a Patrick Swayze statue or something? <laughs> the footloose dancing shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, just anything. Maybe maybe the uh, the welding torch from Flashdance would suffice. You still use fire. <laughs> I just figured it out. You can't kill this creature unless you kill it in slow mo. Oh right. Or so a because yeah because it took like fourteen minutes for Hopper to slide across the ground and kill this thing. Right. It's like a video game if you like build up energy. Got it. Got it. Well, I like the idea that special move, right? (laughs) I know this isn't how it played out, but it kind of felt like that where you're like, oh, here's a scene where, you know, this is happening. Here's a scene where this is happening. Oh my gosh, they're moving from here to there. Okay, Ella's transfer there. It's like, and then we go to Hopper's slow motion cut already in progress. And I'm just like, it it, it travels the course of like an hour of him just raising and then dropping it down. Can I just say, honestly, Given how long this episode was, there was like 20 minutes of choking happening. <laughs> and at one point, my son was like, these guys are being cho- these guys have been being choked for an hour. This is like a really slow choke happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, they go full David Carradine. Uh yes, the, to complete the Tarantino callbacks. <laughs> oh man, it would, that, those are just 
they were just planting little seeds so that we would recognize the, the David Carradine uh, actual death. This the inspiration the story for this whole tell. show. Yeah.